You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. There's many different ways that you can, in this sector, that you can get a 10-bagger, and I'll go into that in a little more detail. But first, I'll say that the best time to get a 10-bagger is, and this applies to all sectors, is when you're coming out of a bear market or a major bottom, because that's when things, you know, they move the most. And we've seen that, you know, we saw that 2016, and we've even, you know, to some degree, we've seen that recently since March. I mean, that was a, you know, an unpredictable crash that we had in the sector. Thank you for tuning in to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers, and I will be speaking with Jordan Royburn from thedailygold.com. If you follow the gold space and the junior gold mining stock sector, I am sure that you're already aware of Jordan and his commentary. He also offers a stock picking service in the gold stocks. If you're not familiar with that, head on over to thedailygold.com to learn more. Jordan, thanks for coming on the show again. It's been a while, so it's good to catch up with you. And it's been quite hectic and crazy, it seems like in society and in the markets uh, since mid-March. And I'm wondering, as you use your interpretive grid and your template for interpreting what's going on in GDX, GDXJ, and the precious metals, has your template of interpretation changed at all due to the unprecedented financial situation and quantitative easing that we find ourselves in? Well, I think what's happened is, um, especially with the COVID-19, it's really accelerated the bullish case for precious metals. Um, you know, fundamentally, precious metals are driven by declining real interest rates. I mean, it's always been that for decades and decades. And, you know, prior to the pandemic, um, they were cutting rates and then they were kind of in pause mode for a while. And, you know, I was thinking, okay, you know, when they restart the cuts, that could be when the sector makes a big leap. But I, of course, I was not expecting there was going to be this huge sell-off and like a 50% crash in the stocks in a month, you know, that that would happen, you know, kind of like a, a 2008 scenario, but only in a, you know, uh, just on steroids and then and ha- happening in a much shorter span of time. So with that happening, you, know, you get the huge rate cuts and, and uh, you know, they're, uh, providing helicopter money to people. And so all of those things are very bullish for precious metals and just the way it played out. I mean, you had a huge sell-off and a crash first, basically. And, um, you know, n- now everything is, is, you know, rebounded um, and just with huge momentum behind it. So it really, I mean, COVID-19 really accelerated um, the bullish case for precious metals. And just as a side comment, I would say, I mean, you know, even if there were no lockdowns, you were still going to have a recession and probably similar policy because, I mean, look at what's happened in Sweden. So it's just a side comment that um, it's not true that, like, you know, everything that happened is because we had the lockdown. I mean, consumer attitudes would have changed anyway, um, and and people would have locked themselves down to some degree, and, and, you know, we'd have a recession anyway because, I mean, again, that's happening in Sweden. So, um yeah, I mean, kudos to the people who saw the the pan, pandemic coming and, um, you know, traded appropriately. But now it looks like, you know, the worst of that is is with respect to precious metals and maybe the stock market is over and it's just accelerated the bullish case for gold. Um, obviously, we can't 
you know, we can't cut rates below zero. I mean, I guess we could if the market um, forces that to happen. But um, yeah, I, I, I think we're set up for a really good situation in precious metals. And that's also reflected in the charts. You mentioned 2008 on steroids. So is how when you look back just to March, do you interpret that as like an accelerated 2008 dynamic where after Lehman Brothers, the gold stocks went down about halfway as the general equities uh, fell, and then they bounced back really strong through 2011, 2012. Do you interpret that as just an accelerated case of that? And then my second part of the question is, should we expect going forward in this next leg up of the gold bull, should that be accelerated? And perhaps we won't see some of the pullbacks or consolidations being as strong and as long as you might in a different bull market. Yeah, I mean, the the difference, um, 2008, it took longer to play out. And um, the recovery, even though it was really fast after 2008, I mean, it was like, I think it took roughly a year for the, the, for GDX to get back above its 2007 high, right? Probably a little more than a year, actually. And if you look at what happened this time, I mean, it happened in a span of a couple months. I mean, the rebound in the seniors like Newmont is just breathtaking how fast that happened. And then they made new highs literally within a month or two. It's absolutely incredible. Um, But You know, with respect to the path forward, it's interesting because, you know, 2008, we had this two and a half year cyclical bull and, you know, we had this incredible rebound and then the market kept rising without these long consolidations. And if you, it's something I need to look at more detail, but if you remove 2008 to 2011 and you look at the 2000s and then the 1960s and the 1970s. You know, the movements in the sector where you had these, for the most part, I mean, you you have these huge moves higher and then you have like a six to 12 month consolidation. Like we saw a lot of that in the 2000s. And um, it's, you know, I'm not quite sure if we're going to go the 2008 route where, you know, we trend higher, but we have corrections along the way. We kind of grind higher or if we're going to go the other route where, you know, you basically have this huge move higher and then the market consolidates and goes sideways for six to 12 months. Um, You know, we could also get a combination of that. But I will say, I mean, the day we're speaking here, Tuesday, um, we're seeing a sell-off in the sector, but it it looks like, especially if this sell-off holds, you know, we could be seeing more of a correction, something we haven't really seen since the March bottom. And, you know, I, I think that, I, I think it's a good thing. Um, and it points us more towards the 2008 recovery scenario. And I think that's a good thing because my fear is that we get one of these moves like we got in the early 2000s where everything just screams higher and goes vertical and then suddenly it stops and the market consolidates and corrects for six to 12 months. I mean, that's that's great for traders, but for buy and holders, that's very difficult. So, I mean, we could be, you know, it, it's hard to say just because of what's happened over the last couple of weeks, okay, now we're going to follow the 2008 to 2011 template. It's hard to say, you know, definitively that that's going to happen. But it, I, I it, right now I would kind of lean towards, it looks like that's where we're at here and now for the market. But I mean, the, you know, it, Bill, it's possible at some point it could change where we could, 
you know, we could grind higher, but then a next year or whenever, you know, we could have a really sharp move higher and then a six to 12 month correction before the next leg higher. So it's, it's possible both could happen, but I think here and now, if I had to answer one way or another, it looks like we're following more the 2008 to 2011 scenario in your own portfolio how much cash do you still have left or are you fully deployed um i have about uh 15 percent left just in case there's another sell-off or just another good opportunity you might find exactly i like to keep a small amount of cash just in case um good opportunities arise but you know if this correction continues i would like to put a little bit more of that to work We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Arcana Corporation is on the verge of bringing the world's highest grade silver mine into production. The Revenue Virginius Mine in Colorado has proven improbable silver reserves grading nearly 37 ounces per ton silver with an all-in sustaining production cost of only US $8 per ounce of silver. The mine is fully permitted with infrastructure already in place and the company has announced they plan to commence production in 2020. Achieving successful production usually results in a significant up share price re-rating on the Lassonde curve. Arcana trades under the ticker AUN in Toronto and AUNFF in New York. To learn more, go to arcana.com. That's A-U-R-C-A-N-A.com. Jordan, I've been getting a number of emails from investors that are newer to the precious metals mining stock sector. And some of them are choosing to play it just by buying GDXJ, the ETF. For those investors that want to protect their gains, uh, twofold question. Number one, what should they be paying attention to the most from a technical standpoint? And number two, if you were them, how would you deal with stop losses? Uh, as far as stop losses, um, I like to use like a mental stop loss of 20%. If you think about, if you have 5% of your money in one stock and it goes down 20%, you know, that's, you're limiting and you sell at that point, you're limiting your risk to 1% of your portfolio. Of course, it looks like we're in a clear bull market now. And so there is the risk of getting, um, you know, of, of buying something that goes down 25%, you get stopped out, but then, then that's the bottom. And then it zooms a lot higher after that. So that can happen to a bull market, but that's, I mean, when you're buying individual stocks, that's, you need to have some kind of risk control in place like that. You also now selling on the way up is really, really hard, but I think the best way to handle that is you basically, you let your winners run, but you trim as a stock moves higher. So, and again, all of these rules, like you have to use what's best for you and use your own numbers. I mean, some people, they sell half of it after a double. So, you know, for, for a risky stock, you know, that might be a smart move, but let's just say you own a junior and it's not that risky. It's a pretty good business. It goes up hundred percent or 150%. Maybe you sell one third of it and then you let the rest run. You know, you put that capital into something else. Uh, you know, maybe it goes up 200% and you decide you're going to sell half and you do the same thing. You take that capital and put it into something else. So that as far as selling that, I mean, that's how the best trader, best investors and, and professionals really sell. They, they it, it's hard. You're, you're never going to pick the absolute top. Anybody who told you that, it, it, that they can do that is lying because you, you can never do that. So you really have to have some kind of system in place where you can capture most of the gains. And when something turns lower and you're losing money, you know, get yourself out. 
because you don't want to have a huge hole in your portfolio. And you just, as it goes higher, let it run. But at some point, you know, if it gets, if it gets to be, if it's up too much, it's too big of a percentage of your portfolio, just trim it, you know, sell a third, maybe sell a half if you need to. That's always the best policy. Now, I'm sorry, can you repeat the, I think the second question you had about, or maybe it was the first part. For newer investors to GDXJ, what's the number one technical thing that they should be looking at? Well, that's an excellent question. I honestly, I would say price and I don't, um, I don't want to go too much off on a tangent here because I know this might bleed into another question. But, you know, when you're new and you're not an expert technical analyst, put a chart up, put the 50 day and 200 day moving average on it and focus on price. You know, there's all these other indicators you can use. Just ignore that. Just focus on the stock. Look at the trend, how it's performing. Look at the key levels. So I would say you have to focus on price and um yeah, I mean that you know there there's a lot more layers to that answer but I'll just leave it there, you know, focus on the price of the stock moving averages and then look at the chart and and right, I think you were talking about GDXJ, you know, look at various key levels, you have to look at various support and resistance points. I mean GDXJ, I mean where we are here and now, I mean it's it's really in a good position because it's correcting and consolidating below a 7-year resistance. It's getting ready at some point to make a huge breakout. Um, you know whether that happens in one month or four months. You know I'm not quite sure yet. Uh, so I wouldn't. Uh, this I understand the question, but I wouldn't be too concerned about you know uh, sell-offs or you know getting yourself stopped out of the market because I I think you have to be careful. You don't want to get too cute before you know GDXJ breaks above this seven-year resistance because I mean that's a hugely significant technical event if and when it happens. Jordan, what's the breakdown of mining stocks in your portfolio in terms of royalty companies, producers, development stories, early stage exploration plays? I have a good mix of all of them, honestly. I mean, I think I only have one royalty company. I'm not a huge fan of the royalty companies. I mean, I, I, I it, it depends. I like to be more aggressive, but I think for people who like to be conservative, uh, th- those are great, but they have, you know, relatively speaking, those things have moved a lot already and you're going to make more gains in the riskier stuff from this point forward. So that's why I only own one. Uh, but I, I have a good mix of, you know, producers, explorers and developers, to be honest. Do you like the prospect generators at all? No. <laughs> <laughs> why not? <laughs> I, yeah, I don't. Uh, they don't have any gold. You know, this is a, a gold and silver bull market, and it's a gold and silver bull market. And but they're looking to find gold, right? You get the potential upside without all of the risk. No. Uh, well, you know, uh, I could take that in many different directions. The prospect generators are are sold as a lower risk um, type of company, and that's true. But it's lower risk for the company itself and the people who are involved in the company. It's not any lower risk for the retail investor. So, you know, in mining conferences and, you know, various interviews, you hear people who are much smarter than me talking about, you know, the prospect generators, lower risk, this is great, et cetera. But those people, they're making money financing the companies. They finance the companies. They get warrants. So they can afford to, you know, have, if they buy five of them, they can afford to have four of them do absolutely nothing. And one of them gets lucky and they, you know, hit a great hole. And, you know, the stock is a 20 bagger. You as a retail investor, you don't have the same um, leverage 
and the same potential outcomes as those people who are selling you on the prospect generators. And back to my original point, like in a gold bull market, I mean, the companies that have gold in the ground or have, you know, high margin potential deposits, uh, the producers that are, have a plan to grow production, uh, those are the companies that are going to perform the best. You know, even if they don't have the best deposit and even if it's, you know, even if it's not that great of a deposit or it's not that great of a company, if they can run their business fairly successfully and they have the wind at their back of, of the gold price going up and going up, you're going to make a lot more money. I mean, that, to me, those are much better buys than just investing in one of these companies that is just basically hoping that, you know, that they or one of their partners is going to hit a drill hole here or there and they're going to discover the mother load. Like in most cases, it's not going to happen. So I would be really careful about the prospect generators. But, Bill, here is the most important takeaway. There is one time, this is what I've been told, there is one time you want to buy a prospect generator. And that is when they decide that they have a project that looks really good, that they're going to save 100% of that project for itself, and they're going to drill that project. That is absolutely the time when you need to get serious and look into that company as a prospect generator. Uh, you know, If they're just doing the normal thing where – you know, we got a bunch of early stage projects and we're going to joint venture everyone out. So we own 20 percent of five or six different things. Uh, no, that that doesn't interest me. But when they say we have five projects, here are four that we're going to joint venture out. But we have this other one that looks really, really good. This is so good that we act. This is so good that we have to drill it. This is so good that we have to abandon this great prospect generator model and drill this project. That is the time when you want to invest in it. Like, look, it's it's when it's so they have a project that they feel is so good, they have to abandon their whole model and keep it to themselves and drill it. That is the time to buy a prospect generator. Every other time, ignore. That's just me. So then how do you view these exploration companies? And as we know, these companies just burn through money. Hopefully they're creating value with the money that they just burn through. But they need millions and millions, tens of millions of dollars, if not hundreds of millions, to advance these projects. So if they get a Barrick or they get an Nico Eagle or a BHP to commit $50 million to exploring this project, in exchange, they, the exploration company might keep 40% of the, the, you know, the project ownership. I mean, doesn't that make sense, though, if they got this big guy that's going to spend $50 million and they get to keep? 40% of the upside, that, that seems like it might make sense to me. Absolutely. But that's a little different because when you're talking about $50 million, that like when, when you're at that kind of a level, then it's clear that the project probably has some merit and it's not some dinky early stage thing. I, I mean, that that's the it's a big difference between, oh, you know, Barrick is going to spend uh, or a major is going to spend $1 million or 2 or $3 million over three years. Yes, that's great for the company. That's Even if it's a prospect generator, that's great. But there's a big difference between the major is going to spend $1 million or a couple million versus like, okay, the major is going to spend $10 million over two years or, you know, $30 million over three or four years. Like th that's, you know, that's putting real money into something. You know that the project really has merit versus a situation where only – a million or two is going into the ground. And in those joint ventures, I mean, the major has all the power. They can drill a couple holes and say, that's it. You know, this is garbage and we're just moving on. So I would, I mean, your point is well taken, but you know, you have to look at the money and exactly how, how much the major is willing to commit to it. Because in a lot of cases, 
you know, and even in those cases, I mean, the major can they can still step away. But if if there's that much money in the contract, then you know they they probably think that there's some uh, merit to the property, and they're not just going to step away. You have launched, I believe, since we last spoke, uh, the Ten Bagger Podcast where you interview people about how they pursue 10 baggers in the mining sector. And I would encourage listeners to subscribe to Jordan's podcast. What have you learned? This is a learning process for me, even doing this podcast. I learn a lot from my guests and my listeners. Thank you for all the emails you send me. What have you learned uh, launching your own podcast, focusing on this? Well, thanks for the free plug. I mean, aside from having a, getting a reservoir of potential 10 baggers that I can, (laughs) that I can research myself. Um, you know, one thing I've learned is, okay, there, there's many different ways that you can, in this sector, that you can get a 10-bagger, and I'll go into that in a little more detail. But first, I'll say, you know, Mike Swanson came on, and, um, you know, people who've been in the sector for 20 years or so, they, they might know who he is. And he actually looked up the the history of uh, the term 10-bagger, and Peter Lynch, who was a real hot um, fund manager, and I think he retired, but he was really successful, I think, in the 80s and early 90s. And I mean, he's one of the best stock pickers and fund managers of all time. And so he actually coined the the term 10-bagger. And I think Mike, I can't recall, but I think Mike was saying, and I think this is from Peter, that really the best, the, the best time to get a 10-bagger is, and this applies to all sectors, is when you're coming out of a bear market or a major bottom, because that's when things, you know, they move the most. And we've seen that, you know, we saw that in 2016. And we've even, you know, to some degree, we've seen that recently since March. I mean, that was a, you know, an unpredictable crash that we had in the sector. But I mean, a lot of companies have doubled and tripled from those lows. I mean, so they're not quite ten baggers yet. But um, you know, that's kind of the the history behind ten bagger. But in our sector, Bill, I would say there's many different ways you can get a ten bagger, especially in a bull market. I mean, I think the obvious or the drill obvious way. They're the drill plays, those those tiny exploration companies. They have a great hole, or they have a you know couple great holes. Uh, they show they show something that uh, they discover something that's going to have significant value. Um, so through drilling, um, stocks can tend bag, um, but not just exploration plays. You know, one way is producers. Like uh, over a two or three, maybe even a four year period, if you get into a junior producer at a good price, and this company has production growth ahead of it. Um, like I said, you get into it at a good time, those stocks can 10 bag. I mean, you know, they can't be too big when you get into them to begin with. But if you get into a junior producer, it's small enough and it has enough growth ahead of it, you know, th- th- those stocks can be 10 baggers. Um, in addition to that, you also have uh, the development side where you have these companies with um, big deposits. Maybe they're slightly economic or a little marginal. And you get a you get a real bull market like we're in now, and those companies can, you know, th- those stocks can also tend bag. So that's really what I've learned. I mean, I've learned the history of uh, the term where it came from, and also that uh, whether you're looking at you know, producers, developers, explorers, you know, ground floor stuff, early stage, uh, you know, post discovery exploration and pre discovery. There's there's numerous ways that you could find a ten bagger. Now, I, which of those ways is best right now? Don't ask me that because I don't know. I'd really have to think about it. But um, it, it probably comes down to the company and its and its value. That that's one thing I would say. You know, it, guys like me, we love to obsess over the trend in the sector and it's going to do this and that. But ultimately, you know, company selection is so important. So I would 
urge people to focus. Uh, you know, if you're looking for a 10 bagger, first and foremost, focus on company selection. Jordan's website is thedailygold.com. And if you go over there, I have the homepage pulled up in front of me. You can see his new book, The Coming New Bull Market in Gold. And if you enter your email, Jordan will send you an co electronic copy of that book. As always, Jordan, I appreciate your insights and thank you for coming on today's show. Thanks for having me, Bill. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks concomitant with that if you don't do the work or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too i just started to study up on mining stocks and i just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really you could do really really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly the mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.